This is the Wicked South Podcast, exploring the dark history of the Murdoch legal dynasty and fascinating criminal cases on both sides of the law. It's a basic rule of storytelling and a golden rule for humanity. For every villain, there should be a hero to stand in their way and fight for what is right. The civil rights struggles of the 1960s reflect the culmination of dark centuries of wickedness and injustice in America and in the South. It was a struggle that swept our entire nation, from seemingly insignificant small towns like Hampton, South Carolina, to cities like Selma and Montgomery, Alabama, and on to the Capitol in Washington, D.C., It was a decade of many villains and a few courageous heroes. And although the road was long and fraught with danger, the heroes triumphed to write a new chapter of American history. Today on the Wicked South podcast, we reveal how some of these heroes came hundreds of miles from northern universities to help total strangers here in the South Carolina Lowcountry fight for their civil rights. And then we speak firsthand with a survivor and crusader who was on the ground in Selma, Alabama, Mr. Matthew Sambita. That's the voice of historian, co-host of the podcast, journalist, storyteller, Michael DeWitt Jr. And I am Matt Harris. Seton Tucker is here. The Matthew he referred to is Seton's dad. Proud Papa will be on with us again. I'm very excited to uh, have him come on and tell this story. We were talking about it earlier this week, and I learned some stuff about my dad that I never even knew. Is your dad excited? He is excited. I would imagine. I would imagine. Uh, and I, we're looking forward to talking to him again. Uh, Impact of Influence is our other podcast, and you can catch that on Facebook. We continue to do that. Also, we have the podcast we're doing right now on Facebook, the Wicked South Podcast. So chime in on both those locations, on the things we talk about, and maybe you even have some story ideas for us. We would love to hear from you. And if you would like to support this podcast, if you're listening through Apple, you can scroll through the show notes, and at the bottom, there is a place that you can make a donation. So we would love to have your support. That's right, because we're just getting started, so we're just starting to line up advertisers, and uh, it would mean a lot if you'd make just a real simple donation. And we want to start this episode, we're going to be talking about the civil rights era, and Michael, tell us what that era was like in Hampton, South Carolina. Seton, Matt, I think the biggest thing I learned in, in my research and, and in writing the, the recent book, uh, History Projects, was that, you know, civil rights, uh, the struggle was everywhere. It, it wasn't just Washington. It wasn't just Selma, Montgomery. Every town, every community um, had their, their struggles. There were civil rights violations. There was violence in a lot of little small towns that we never even heard about. And Hampton, South Carolina, Hampton County was was no exception. As early as 1960, um, the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, sent people down to Hampton to examine and audit the voter registration books. They were um, getting reports that uh, people were being refused uh, the right to even register to vote. And they sent people down, uh, you know, feds, federal agents to, to investigate and they met a lot of resistance. Uh, the local newspaper, the, the Hampton County Guardian, my own paper, previous editors wrote editorials, shocking things these days, you know, basically saying that uh, 
our black citizens have never felt the need to to vote uh, before. So why are you pushing the issue? And just just crazy, crazy things. A judge was even quoted as saying the federal government and the FBI better be looking into what the Russians are doing instead of trying to run little Hampton County's business. A circuit judge, Judge T.B. Grinnaker was quoted in The Guardian as saying, so the newspaper of the day, the the legal system, the politicians, they were all very much opposed to, uh, for the most part, they were all very much opposed to um, even the, the talk of voter registration and civil rights. When we get closer to the late 60s, we start running into some, some violence. Um, in early 1968, Hampton County was rocked by a wave of arsons and, and violence. Four black homes were burned. A black man was injured by a gunshot. And the April 10th, uh, 1968 edition of The Guardian, the Hampton mayor, Charles M. Boyles, he uh, spoke out to the citizens and asked, you know, he voiced some shock and dismay and at the outbreak of violence and arson. And he appealed to all citizens to, you know, just just uh, get along and exercise uh, restraint. They were they were cross burnings. Uh, you, you know, you think you see this on TV, the Klan, but. Uh, right here in little old quiet Hampton, just like uh, lots of communities around the, the South, there were, there were cross burnings. Uh, a curfew, a countywide curfew was enacted. Uh, you had to be in the house uh, eight o'clock every night uh, to protect life and property. And what is wild about this, maybe it's my age showing, but 1968, 1960, the 60s is not forever ago. That That is recent memory. That that is what's shocking how ugly it was in many of our lifetimes. Yeah. When I was doing some of the research for this episode, one statistic that I came upon was that in Selma, Alabama, the percentage of black people registered to vote was only two percent. Yes, and it wasn't like they didn't want to. They were uh persuaded to not vote or register to vote. Or if they did try to, maybe they encountered violence. I mean, when I say shocking, it's not like I don't know history and that that was true. It's, But it still it really resonates when you hear it, right? Uh, and so you had all these curfews going on in Hampton and the surrounding areas, I'm sure. And in the late 60s, college students swing into action. Explain. Michael. Well, there were a few local heroes and local leaders. Uh, one of them was a man named James A. Moore, and I'll talk a little bit about him uh, more at the end of this story. But he was a, a local leader of the of the uh, Hampton chapter of the NAACP. But you know, he was up against some 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 big uh, opponents. You know, he only so much these these local activists could do. And it took it took some out of town help. I know here in this part of South Carolina, we always joke about the Yankees and and the damn Yankees and all that. But <laughs> if it wouldn't have been for uh, for the help of some Yankees, uh, you know, we would have had some major problems here. In the late '60s, students from three universities—Notre Dame, St. Mary's, and Holy Cross Junior College—they made several trips to Hampton County, and I think they went to Allendale County and other places as well. And basically, they just wanted to help uh, black citizens get get mobilized and register to vote and overcome these voter suppression tactics. And you can imagine they back then in the time of, of Jim Crow, they were there, you know, all kinds of tactics. Uh, 
you know, in, in, in previous years, you, it would have to be a literacy test or uh, I've seen in history where they would make black people would have to walk 30 miles to vote sure. at, at the proper precinct, just anything you can imagine to discourage them. But these students came in and they they uh, they were met with welcoming arms by the black citizens on both sides of, of our county. But they were not treated so kindly by the officials in power or most of the white citizens. Um, one, if they got so much as a parking ticket or a jaywalking, you know, they were in court. One judge called them all communists right in open court. Mm. The Guardian wrote a blasting editorial basically saying they all needed to go back home. And we know all this because one of the students, a man named Peter McInerney, he recorded his experiences in two articles. He wrote an article for Scholastic magazine and another, and you can still find this this blog. We're going to share links on our Facebook page. But the University of Notre Dame class of 1969 blog, it's entitled A Call to Justice, Hampton County, South Carolina, if you want to Google that. But he describes the, the days and the weeks that the Notre Dame students spent uh, in Hampton they they marched together with with local black citizens. There was a standoff with uh with local police. Yeah, so it's it's April 1968, and I don't uh, have the exact date of Dr. King's assassination, but this was after Dr. King was assassinated, and these students from several universities are going. They're all over the county. They're going from house to house, church to church, and they're they're helping people get registered to vote, but they also, just like in in other places, like in like in Selma, uh, they held marches. They held several marches in April of of sixty eight while they were here, and uh, their final march came uh, later that month before they were uh, scheduled to go back uh, up north. They marched for about a mile, and these marches, you know, uh, between three hundred and five hundred people, m- women, men, children. Uh, you know, quite a sizable thing for a small town like Hampton. And this last march was about a mile. They were all, uh, you know, intended to be very peaceful. They were holding up signs, uh, you know, demanding the right to vote, demanding better jobs, uh, better uh, recreational facilities and, and, and welfare benefits and things of this nature. So they're walking and several of the leaders of the movement uh, were arrested. They were arrested for uh, basically blocking a roadway. And then later on, uh, charges of resisting arrest were, were added. Uh, you know, maybe maybe they were deserved. Maybe they were trumped up charges. But several of the key people, James Moore, his son, Michael Moore, another leader of the uh, NAACP, they were all arrested and put in the Hampton County Jail. You know, the organizers weren't just going to march back. They kind of staged a sit-in, a sit-in protest right there, uh, you know, in front of and, and all around the county jail. Uh, Seton, it, it was quite uh, quite a scene. Michael, is this the county jail that is right across from the courthouse? It's a museum now? Is that accurate? That's right. Uh, and and it's uh, there's a chapter devoted to this, uh, this old jail and its history in Wicked Hampton County, but it's now the Hampton County Museum. Uh, uh, not a very big building, but it still it still exists today. You you ride by it or or, or or walk by it, and you don't realize that that a very historical thing happened there. Well, what happened during this sit-in protest? You know, it was meant to be silent, peaceful. They were just going to sit there 
until just hopefully something happened. They, their, their, their people would be released or something. They were there for quite a while. They tried to get food. Local restaurants wouldn't serve them. The situation escalated. Uh, the Hampton Town Police called in the Hampton County Sheriff's deputies. They called in the State Highway Patrol, SLED. Um, back then, it was called the State Bureau of Investigation, I think. They called in, uh, you know, state police with riot gear. Uh, Buster Murdoch, the solicitor, was there, and uh, it had the potential to get uh, to get kind of ugly. And the police told them, if you know, if it, any violence happens, we're going to charge all of you out-of-town students with crossing state lines to incite a riot. So it had the potential for, you know, serious criminal charges, potential for violence. And luckily it, it there was a little violence, but there was no there were no fatalities, no major bloodshed. The sit-in lasted about six hours. And the NWACP had some attorneys come in. They were able to arrange the release of everyone except for Michael Moore, who was the, the leader of the whole movement. Um, he had been charged with resisting arrest, so they set a, a, a bail at $5,000, and he had to stay in, in jail a little, little longer. So that pacified everyone, and they said, we're going to march back uh, to where we came. We're going to consider it a victory. We're uh, hopefully going to get Mr. Moore out at uh, a later date. And on the march back, that's when the, the most violence happened. You had a young man. This is an amazing story. A young man attempted to drive his car through the marchers, and he was he was looking to to injure or kill someone, and there huh. were a few minor injuries, and he was later taken into custody, and there were no, you know, he wasn't, it was, he got a slap on the wrist. Well, he didn't have a five thousand dollar bond. Michael Moore got the five thousand dollar bond. Yeah, that's what I was saying. He he, this person who actually tried to kill somebody didn't receive a five thousand dollar bond. Not to my knowledge, no. I don't even think he was really formally arrested. Uh, I think he more or less got a um, a slap on the wrist and a pat on the back at the same time. But what makes his story uh, more interesting t- uh, to me, I, I, when I wrote this in Wicked Hampton County, I was taking it from archives from the Notre Dame blog, and I talked to the one of the students, uh, Mr. McInerney, that was involved in, in the, the whole thing from Notre Dame. And uh, he didn't have any names. He didn't know the locals. He couldn't even remember the solicitor's name at the time because, you know, it's been several decades for him. And after the book published, I had a couple of locals come up to me and tell me we were there. We remember who the, the young guy was that tried to run over the marchers and protesters in a car. And I did some digging and I found out that the, the young man, he's still, uh, he's an old man now, but he's still in our community, and he's actually a relative of the Murdoch family. Really? Oh, um, wow. He's uh, more or less uh, still a prominent citizen right here in Hampton County, and he was just one of those people, you know, back then that was caught up in this moment and, and I guess, on, on the wrong side of history, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. These stories, these uh, here in, in the South Carolina Low Country. Uh, you can you can read about them in Wicked Hampton County, but we're also going to post some links and pictures on our Wicked South podcast Facebook page. The links will take you to the Notre Dame blog, and you can read in great detail about how these um, these university students came to a uh, small town here in South Carolina and tried to make a difference. And 
uh, I think we're about to hear uh, about uh, someone who was on the ground firsthand who uh, helped make a difference. See, We had an idea to bring on my dad, Matt Sambita, who was a college student during this time and actually attended one of these marches. Uh, we talked last week and I, I learned a lot. Did you know he went on I there? did, and I've always really been proud of my dad for, for doing be. that, but yeah. I didn't really know the full story. So let's start off with how you decided to go down to Selma. Yeah, well, let, let me just give you a brief bit of context. Uh, in uh, 1964, uh, there was the uh, Civil Rights Act that was supposed to do away with segregation and ho- helped, uh, helped to create voting rights in various ways. Um, by 1965, though, there was still a great deal of difficulty uh, in African-Americans and Blacks being allowed to register some places in the South, including in Alabama uh, at the time. And so there were movements that started. Um, and the one I think you want me to talk about is, is my trip to Selma. Uh, there actually were three marches in Selma. Uh, the first one was on March 7th. Uh, and that's the famous one where you see um, a, a group of uh, people marching over the bridge and attacked by the uh, uh, by the state police and others on horses and beaten and things like that. Mm. Several days later, uh, Martin Luther King came down with others and they were about ready to start a march. And a federal judge issued an injunction preventing them from doing it. Um, in the interim, there was a... Um, uh, there was a uh, minister from Boston uh, by the name of James Reeb, R-E-E-B, uh, who was down there trying to help uh, the uh, blacks or African-Americans to register to vote, uh, that um, he was killed uh, by, a, uh, by a, uh, a white group uh, when he was down there. Uh, and so... With that background, a lot of momentum started to build towards something being done. And President Johnson, uh, with regard to that, uh, agreed to, since the state of Alabama under Governor Wallace would not cooperate, uh, agreed to call out the National Guard so that they would provide uh, federal protection uh, as that would take place. Where were you going to college at the time? Well, I was going to... To, uh, Canisius College, which was a Catholic college in Buffalo, New York. Okay. So then my other question is, you know, we have social media, we have 24-hour news, we have all that sort of thing going on. You're finding this out through just like a 6 and 11 o'clock news. It's kind of trickling in, I guess. How are you figuring out what's going on? Through the, uh, through the news reports uh, on the 6 o'clock news, basically, and the printed media. Uh-huh. Uh, back then, the, you know, the print media is not nearly as predominant now as it was back then. So every morning and night, you would get a morning paper and a night paper and read all about this stuff. Okay. So it was really those two ways that you were getting information. And so you're getting the information. Is is there a group forming, already formed on, on, the, on the campus, or because of what's happening in 1965, does a group start to form? An ad hoc group formed, really, as a result of this. Uh, the... Uh, the uh, third week of March uh, by the Dean of Men at Canisius College. Uh, and they decided to organize a trip uh, using uh, a Greyhound bus transportation uh, down to Selma 
to participate in a march that was going to happen. Okay, so at this point, you said there's three marches in Selma. Two had already happened, and this was about to be the third? Well, the first one happened, which was the Bloody Sunday March. Right. The second one was enjoined by a judge. So this was supposed to be the third one, which was going to be a a 54-mile march over several days from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama, the state capital. Were you nervous? Did you fear violence? What was the... What do you remember being the emotion of of the as you boarded those buses? Yeah, well, let me let me talk about how we got on it. So they, yeah. they came and basically asked if we wanted to get on. You had to pay a fee uh, to help support the further cost of thirty five dollars. I remember, uh, and there was some money given by the university, um, and you could sign up to do it. Um, in most cases, uh, parents were not, including my parents, were not in favor. Of, of, of us going and doing it, but uh, did it anyways. Uh, some of it, I guess, was youth. Some of it was the desire to get involved in a movement that I had been involved in um, in, in a number of ways. And I don't mean to suggest when I'm doing this that I was at all mature about some of the decisions I was making. Uh, this was something out of, out of my heart, out of my spirit, uh, and uh, uh, that, uh, you know, that's why I did it. My husband, Lynn, mentioned that you told him that there may have been a love interest on this bus that may have also influenced your decision. Well, there there was a suggestion that there was uh, a number of other schools participating and going down there, including (laughs) Boston College, and a couple of people had relationships and connections there. Although I have to admit, we went down there, I never met anybody from Boston College, so... (laughs) so. So what happened was there were 33 students, three faculty members, um, and we got on a bus. This, I believe, was on March 19th. The original Bloody Sunday was on March 7th. So on March 19th, we got on a bus. The march was to commence on March 21st, which was a Sunday. So um, we got on a bus um, and we drove all night, Friday night, uh, arrived in Louisville, got a little something to eat, changed buses, then drove all night to uh, Nashville. I changed buses there again and drove on to Birmingham. Uh, we got to Birmingham uh, and we all put on basically suits and ties, whatever we had, sport jackets and a tie. Um, and uh, the priest shepherded to a mass at the uh, big Catholic church in Birmingham, Alabama at the time. And then we got on a bus to drive to Selma, which was, I guess, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half or so away. Um, we got on the bus, and the bus driver was not happy uh, about what we were doing and where we were at. We had heard rumors that some of the students uh, from the University of Alabama were trying to uh, stop uh, people from going down there and you know, trying to divert cars off the roads and various things like that. So we started to get a little nervous as we headed out. Uh, the bus driver, as I said, wasn't happy, so he did two things. Uh, one, he turned up the heat, even though the temperatures were quite moderate this March down there in Alabama. So it was very warm in the bus. Oh, and the second thing he did, he kept on weaving off the road onto the gravel uh, shoulder. So uh, the, uh, one of the uh, one of the faculty members who happened to be a Jesuit priest went up there and sort of calmed him down uh, as uh, as as we got to Selma to stop all all that nonsense. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Michael uh, was telling us a little bit about some of the uh, the people who came down to where he's from, which is Hampton, South Carolina, and some of the reactions from some of the locals were probably similar, don't you think, Michael? Absolutely. I think from from normal citizens to the people in power, I mean, they weren't the, the, the folks from the northern universities were not welcomed by everyone in the community. I can I can tell you that. Yeah. And I, I you're absolutely right, Michael. I can give you some direct experiences. I'll give you a couple quickly. One, when we pulled up on a bus next to what what I came to learn was the um, uh, was the uh, main chapel. Uh, where the I think it was called the Brown Chapel um, on on the main street where the people were assembling. We got there I guess on a Saturday, um, and the march was going to be on a Sunday. The National Guard guy spoke to our bus driver for a few minutes. We didn't know what they were talking about, and we didn't know that's where we should have gotten off. They diverted us out of town um, a mile or two and let us off the bus, and we picked up. We basically all brought backpacks and. We were told to bring some canned goods and other foods um, for the community down there, which we did. So we got off the bus uh, and uh, he had dropped us off in a white neighborhood. Uh, And the next thing I know, a bunch of people came out of their houses um, saying very unkind things and throwing stones at us and and getting somewhat aggressive. So we started jogging down the road to get away. Um, and uh, it was, I said, uh, a bunch of people were uh, coming um, uh, up in their cars, I guess, going to church services at this Brown Chapel, uh, some African-Americans. And they stopped and they, somehow the 33 of us jumped in four or five cars and Whoa. pickup trucks and they drove us down there. So that was my first experience with that. Um, yeah. So we got there. Yeah. Delivered our goods, um, and uh, we were shown where we were going to sleep that night, which was uh, there was another church uh, maybe 100 yards away from the Brown Chapel uh, where we were sleeping on basically the pew. Told we were going to sleep on the pews or on the floor and our sleeping bags and stuff like that. So that's what we were planning to do. Um, being a little bit more adventurous, uh, one of my uh, friends who I had played basketball with there at Canisius um, said, let's take a walk into town, just the two of us, which was probably not a wise decision. (laughs) So we walked into town and um, we were just looking around and there was like a motorcycle shop. And, you know, as a young guy, that seemed pretty interesting to me. So we walked in and we were very unceremoniously thrown out by the by the people who work there and some customers telling we weren't welcomed in town as Michael said, and, and we shouldn't be there and stuff like that. So wow. I started to get a, a little more nervous at this point, and we hustled back to the safety of that uh, one long street where the church was. Where the church was on one corner, uh, the other church was at the other corner, and in between basically were apartment buildings where a large, uh, I think it was all African-American population existed. On the roofs of some of these apartment buildings, the local state troopers and police had staked out headquarters. So they were sort of looming over you at all times while you were there. How far were these, these, this church where you were 
to wherever you, you really were, were going, to where the, where the actual march was going to start? The march actually started right at the Brown Chapel. Oh, it did? Okay. Okay. So first you were dropped off in the white neighborhood. You had to walk and run and ride to the Brown Chapel where it was going to start. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. And it was going to start the next day. So we all just sort of decamped and were trying to rest and all that stuff. Uh, there was some, you know, talk, a few, I don't know if you quite call them speeches, but some things going on, you know, Martin Luther King and and some of the other uh, civil rights leaders were there at the time. So we were there with them. And Wait a minute, I have wait, to stop wait, for a second because that's mind-blowing yeah, to wait, me. Did you know that Martin Luther King was going to be there when you were when you signed up to make this trip? Yes. You did? He's such an iconic figure to us now. Was he regarded in that same way at that time? Yeah, uh, I believe so. I think he grew in stature over the next several years before he was assassinated. But yeah, he, he had a growing presence. I mean, his strong beliefs were to, um, you know, have change by peaceful means and other things like that. And, you know, he had uh, been around, was in, you know, in, in jail in Birmingham by this point, had written some rather um, uh, impressive writings and things on the topic and was speaking and things like that. Yes. So he was pretty well known. How many people were in the church at that point? Hundreds, hundred? Do you have any idea? No, not precisely. And actually, most of the meetings were on the steps of the church. Okay. This is blowing my mind, actually. To were there truth. any uh, members of the community, white members of the community, that marched with you? Not that I'm aware of. It might have been, but not that I'm aware of. And I know it's a weird question in retrospect, because to put your brain back in 1965, was there any idea of what you were experiencing? Did you? I mean, it's hard, at whatever you were, 20 years old or something, to put it in a historical perspective, but did you really feel how important this was at the time? Um, not really. I was just doing what I felt I should do at the time. Right. And, you know, one thing that happened uh, over, over that visit is I matured a lot, but, uh, you know, going down there, it's, you know, I, I didn't really quite have that sense. I thought I was just doing the right thing. That's amazing. And by That's the way, I was 19 when I went down there. 19. Whew. Did you get caught a Yankee? I got called a lot worse than that. Um, <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> I got I got spit at. I got stones thrown at me. Uh, you could hear while we were marching shots being fired. Uh, I don't know. I don't think they were shooting at anybody, but just shooting in the air from various places. Um, I mean, it wasn't very pleasant. And you know, I mentioned the National Guard of Alabama. I mean, remember they were basically um, uh, people from Alabama. Um, and so they weren't real happy to have us there either. Right. So even though that they were supposed to be protecting us, uh, which they did, uh, it was, was not a happy protection. And I'm sure that's why the uh, National Guard officer who the bus driver talked to sent us out of town. Well, and if you are from Alabama, please do not take this as a slight. I lived in Alabama for nine years and it is a wonderful place and the people are great. And if you do have a chance to visit the Civil Rights Museum in Birmingham, it is. It is an amazing museum. Mr. Matthew, I'm I'm from a small town, so I guess I kind of look at the, the world a lot differently. The you know, a, a small city is is major to me. So where are you from? Are you a, a, a small town boy going into a, a, a city or uh, I'll say are, are you from from up north going into the southern 
uh, uh, states? How, what kind of a culture shock was it for you? Yeah, I grew up in the suburbs of, of uh, Buffalo, New York, uh, and basically an all-white community uh, itself. Um, Buffalo is is a city, but it's 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 nothing like New York or Philadelphia. It's probably even a, a little smaller than Birmingham, um, and uh, um, and so by way of background, I you know basically grew up there. Um, Got very much interested and involved in some of the activities that started in the uh, early '60s under the Kennedy administration, and some of the things that were taking place, and what I viewed as to be some of the injustices and stuff like that. Which, by the way, um, is is, and I have a lot of close friends in Alabama too. Uh, it, it's not just something to Alabama or the South; no. it was all over the country. Is what what I saw. And I'll give you an, I'll give you a, a couple of examples on my return uh, about that. But it, 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 this this wasn't just something about a, a, a small area in Alabama, small town that this was part of. I saw it in all sorts of different places, from from Buffalo to Boston to New York to Philadelphia, all sorts of places in the Northeast. Baltimore, you see the same things, uh, same thing at the same time was going on. Yeah, racism isn't uh, exclusive to a region. That is for sure. Take us now to the to the beginning of the march. Let's go to that day. Yeah. So there was a um, uh, there was a, some a speech and some singing. Um, uh, you know, the "We Shall Overcome" uh, songs and things of that nature uh, on the steps of the Brown Chapel, and then everybody assembled basically, uh, you know, in a line of of about four or five across. So it was a long single line, and you marched through the town a short distance to the Pettus Bridge and then over the Pettus Bridge. Uh, and this was Route 80, which was the way, I believe, going to Montgomery, um, which was basically a four-lane road uh, with sort of a median strip in the middle. So there were two lanes going one way, two going the other. We marched down the way which you would normally go into, um, into Selma uh, there, and lining the roads were the National Guard troops and others. And on the other side of the road, traffic was moving along and it was basically uh, young people moving along, yelling at us and and um, and throwing stuff at us and stuff like that as we were moving along. And then on the left side was sort of a large hill. Uh, and on the other side of the hill was some train tracks. Um, and on the other, so what, 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 what was taking place was on the other side of the hill, which you couldn't see who was there. Many rocks and other things were being flung uh, from time to time in the direction of the marchers. Wow. I mean, you're 19 and you don't know what you don't know, right? But were you fearful at that point or were you young enough to be dumb and not be fearful? I don't know if it was either one. I, you, know, you know, you just felt it was the right thing to do and you need to do it. Right. That's amazing. You're amazing. It's amazing. So what goes on now at this point as you, after you, you do the march? Well, you, you, basically, you march down uh, about 10 miles. They then had a campsite um, with tents, um, and some of the people stayed there, and they made arrangements for others to get back on the train and go back to Selma for the night and then be trained back to that location to start the march again. What would you do? Uh, both stayed there <laughs> uh, and then took the train back another time. To Montgomery was 54 miles. Did you would. 
take a break and then continue the march. I think, what did you say, 10 miles a day? That's what that's what the goal was. Oh, okay, okay. So it wasn't a straight 54. You took breaks and then came back the next day and, and continued. Yeah, when you were marching during the day, it was pretty consistent. Okay. But, you know, it doesn't take that long, really, to walk 10 miles, honestly. Right. You know, it might take you five, six hours. So then you would stop and they would have, like, you know, dinner was usually something like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches sort of thing. So. Okay. And did you have a chance to interact with uh, Martin Luther King during this time at all? A little bit. I mean, we didn't become friends or talk to him a lot, but, you know, you got to meet him and stuff like that. I mean, it was, you know, I, I wasn't exactly the, at that time, felt confident enough to run up and engage in a full conversation with him or anything like that. You know, maybe today I would or Michael would or Matt or Seton yeah. would, but, you know, back then I was just, you know, just, you know, just doing what I need to do. I mean, a lot of the time we had a, a, a little banner from our college with a, like a broomstick holding it up. And so a lot of the time I was, uh, you know, carrying that with somebody else on the other side uh, okay. as we marched along, leading our, leading our little group. And and this march was what, what were like percentage white to black in, in the march? Uh, I would say it was probably... 90% more black. Wow. And most of the people that were marching like were people like you that were from universities and stuff from the north? No. I think most of the people who were marching were were, 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 were local people and other people down there was my impression or other civil rights leaders from other okay. places. Oh, wow. Okay, so you finish the walk over numerous days. Then you've got to get back. You mentioned getting back, there was uh, some less than happy people to see you. Yeah. Well, what happened was we started our journey back on the Greyhound bus and, uh, you know, and I, the sanitation for us wasn't that great. I mean, you know, truthfully for the five, six days I was down there, I didn't have a shower. Uh, so um, on the way back, we stopped at uh, a place called John Carroll College University in Cleveland, Ohio, Yeah, which was on the way back up there. Um, and, uh, it was another Jesuit Catholic school and they allowed us to shower and, you know, and clean our clothes a little bit and stuff like that to make ourselves pretty presentable. So, uh, so we called back up there on pay phones, you know, nobody had cell phones or computers yeah. or anything like that. And we were told that some of the students were pretty unhappy that we went because they delved into the school fund to supplement the cost to the tune of, I think, $1,000 or $1,500. Because each one of us put in $35 and they needed more money, I guess, for the trip. Uh, and they were mad because that was for the social fund for dances and other things like that. Oh, jeez. Uh, Priorities, people. So we didn't know what we were coming back to. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't, they weren't so much concerned about the civil rights thing. It was that they weren't going to have their dance. Also, yeah, <laughs> it's... It, you know, we've been talking, it seemed like the Catholic universities were really uh, leaders in this movement. Well, I think it was all churches, but the Catholic Church certainly was. I mean, that that uh, Reverend Rebbe, who I think was a Unitarian um, minister. So I think there was all sorts of religious organizations and others from all over the country that were supportive of that. Um, and so, I, yeah, so uh, when we arrived back at school, um, the, the school had like a, uh, like a student center and it had like a ramp, uh, you know, the cars or buses could pull up to the front of it. 
And so as we pulled up, there was a large gathering of students there. And they were very quiet. And I said, oh, boy, this is not going to be good. <laughs> so so as we pulled up, as we were getting off the bus to get our stuffs out of where we're stored below, uh, the local news stations all pulled up. Uh, and as they pulled up, all of a sudden, a great deal of enthusiasm developed. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, we call that virtual yeah. virtual signaling now, right? Virtual signaling. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't mean to suggest that you know that everybody at the school was for or against it. I think the vast majority of people, if not all, were in favor of what we did. But it was sort of a strange reaction. Now, I, again, I was tired and yeah, and uh, and you know, just getting over this long emotional trip, which you know, sort of changed. Uh, my life and my views and my maturity in a lot of different ways. You were aware of it, but something changed in you because there's a difference between seeing it on TV or a news report or reading it that changed you. I mean, you hadn't hung around with a bunch of black people either in your life, right? So that was a new kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Canisius was an inner city school. Okay. So around the schools in neighborhoods were probably predominantly black at the time. So, you know, and, 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 you know, obviously, uh, you know, playing basketball and other stuff, you know, it wasn't quite like it is now, but, you know, got to know a lot of different people of different, um, different types and stuff like that. So, so it wasn't totally new to me in that sense. Um, probably, it, you know, it, I didn't really realize it at the time, but it gave me much more of a focus, um, much more of a calmness much more of an ability to handle various situations. Uh, so, for yeah. example, uh, afterwards, uh, I was probably, uh, I don't know, a mediocre student at, a, you know, a small little Catholic school in Buffalo, New York. You know, I, I, I got serious about a lot more things, um, uh, was able to get into University of Pennsylvania Law School, which is one of the top law schools in the country. And I think a lot of it was because of my maturity and and, wow. and and focus that I gained. Um, I was able to get a, a, a clerkship with a, a very prominent um, uh, federal judge who was the first black uh, circuit court, ju- federal circuit court judge in the country, a judge, uh, William Hasty, who was fabulous. Um, and I got to know him. Um, I got to, uh, uh, yeah, a number of times I talked to his one of his best friends was Thurgood Marshall, the Supreme Court Justice, wow. and they would talk all the time. So, you know, those experiences were were also very maturing and very helpful towards my growth. And then I went on to, I would like to think, a, you know, pretty successful legal career over the years. Um, and a lot of it was that. And, you know, I try to, you know, give back to the community uh, in various different ways. I don't try to be... Um, obnoxious or pushy about it. You know, I learned, you know, as, 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 as Michael was saying, you know, sort of people just going down to, you know, different areas and trying to foster their own views and, and beliefs upon them and get in there isn't the most welcome way to do it. So I, you know, I learned over time, the best way is to try to see what is really helpful, where, where it'll work, what you can do and how you can do it in various ways. So all those things work for me. See, you learn a lot about your pops with this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm glad we have it recorded. Yeah. I'm going to make my children listen. Yeah, if, 
when you were when she was 15 she wouldn't have wanted to hear these stories probably like ah oh, dad yeah. <laughs> yeah i know michael's got a question but i, sh- I should tell you I've, I've really never given this full story to anybody before today so it's an amazing story <laughs> it is absolutely amazing michael what's your question yeah i was thinking uh two things uh number one seton you should definitely keep this this podcast and this video for your children and your grandchildren and when i'm hearing the details uh how you this movement from the northern universities was kind of led by the catholic schools and you guys are on the ground you're you're in a you're almost in a foreign land if you're coming from buffalo new york to alabama you're almost in a foreign land you're surrounded by hostiles you're carrying a banner it reminds me of the crusades you're on a religious crusade as well as a a a civil rights and political crusade and um i don't know what it felt like at the time you know you're getting spit at and bottles thrown at you but looking back uh you know this is a historical podcast this, that that was a that was a modern day crusade and, and you were a crusader and uh i just I, I love this story i just i love it so much well thank you i didn't really quite frankly be with that way i viewed it as somebody just trying to do a little something to help out i was hoping i'd be the best mad on the show dang it <laughs> <laughs> you still are <laughs> oh sure okay uh thank you so much matt really appreciate it man uh, very good you guys do great work and I, I i like your new uh the new stuff you're doing with michael this is all really good stuff thanks anything matt. else i can do to help uh i'm more than happy to do that well thank that'll, you what you'll do is uh come on with some stories about seton when she was a kid that's no, what we- no. <laughs> Well, let me tell you about the time. <laughs> <laughs> see you later, man. I can see Dwayne likes that. Dwayne loves that one. Yep, yep. That's a whole episode. Thank you. Thanks, Dad. That was so fun for me to have my dad on. Probably will be one of my favorite episodes that we do. Um, if you would like to sponsor our podcast, you can reach out to us on The Wicked South, and we'd love for you to rate and review us. And we actually got a great one on Apple. It says, I grew up listening to the stories from my older relatives in the South, so this feels like home for me. If you love great stories, you'll love this. Going to get Michael's book ASAP. Yes. So thanks again for listening, and we will talk soon.